Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. One evening... When I was around eight years old, I was walking around the neighborhood with my brother. And you know, when boys are bored, that's when trouble begins, right? Well, we were walking by one of my friend's house. He was about my age, eight years old. And we looked in his window, and he was in there, light was on, he was drawing. And so my brother and I decided we were going to do a prank. So we crawled up under the window of Marty, and we started calling out, Marty! Marty! And about after about the fourth time we called out Marty, Marty stood up and yelled out with a blood-curdling cry, It's a ghost! And he ran out of the room, took off. And about that time, we freaked out and we dove into a nearby hedge. And it was just in the nick of time because Marty's dad, who doesn't believe in ghosts, came out with a flashlight looking for the cause of his son's distress. And I just remember that light going all over the place and shining even in the hedge as we're sitting there shaking because we're thinking we're going to get busted here. And finally, he went back in the house. And my brother and I got up and we just went home laughing hysterically. We were terrible, rotten kids, weren't we? But Marty was terrified that night. Marty was filled with fear. And there are some Christians that believe that we should live in a state of fear our entire lives. In fact, they think that fear produces holiness. And in fact, they might even quote this text to support their beliefs. They might say something like, Jesus is coming and we need to be prepared. And what they're thinking about being prepared for is a cosmic video of all your sins being displayed before everyone in heaven. And if that's true, we all need to live fearfully. In fact, we all need to be terrified like Marty was 52 years ago. Stop moving here. Okay, we're good. Look at 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 21. This is the word of God. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver 
or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with the precious blood, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This letter of 1 Peter is written to a church that was undergoing persecution. The apostle writes to encourage the church who is suffering for righteousness' sake. And in the first 14 verses of chapter 1, he reveals the hope that they have because of their gracious salvation. He says in verse 1 that the church has been chosen by God and that our sins have been forgiven because of Christ's sprinkled blood. He says that in verse 2. Then God, by his mercy, has caused us to be born again in verse 3. And that our salvation is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and is protected by the power of God in verses 4 and 5. He finally states that the foundation for Christian living is by fixing our hope completely on the grace that will be revealed at the second coming of Christ in verse 13. What a glorious, encouraging message for all who believe and who were going through persecution. In verse 14, if you look, he calls us children of obedience because of our adoption. We have gone from being sons of disobedience to now children of obedience. We can call the God who created the universe, the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who sustains all life, we can now call him, amazingly, our Father, our Abba, our Dad. We can come into his presence in prayer now and call him our Father as Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Now, if a Jewish person in the first century heard a Christian calling God their father, they might be appalled. In fact, they might look down on the Christian for their irreverence. Because for the Jew, the transcendence of God was the most important thing. Um, the transcendence teaches how holy God is while how sinful man is. And there is a gulf between God and man because of the transcendence of God. God is an independent being, while we are dependent beings. God transcends all of nature. And that's why the Jew would be very unfamiliar with this idea of God being their father. In fact, father, the term father, is only used 14 times in the Old Testament. And nowhere in the Old Testament does a person directly say that God is their personal father. And this gap between God and man kept widening and widening until the time of Christ. So for Peter to say, to call God our father in verse 17, would be an extreme statement for a Jewish person to hear. And for Jesus 
to say the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, would be a shocking statement for his contemporaries. And they would also be shocked to hear in Hebrews 3.16 that we are told boldly to go into the presence of God where we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. You see, the Jew would think there is no way that anybody can go into the presence of God unless they're the high priest. And only the high priest could go into the presence of God one time a year, once a year. Um, and he had to prepare for that event, too. And the reason why he prepared for it is, if he would die as he was in the Holy of Holies, you know, there's nobody, nobody that could go in to get him out. So they would tie a rope around his legs, and he would have bells on his robe, so that if he stopped moving, they would hear the bells no longer ringing, and eventually they would pull on the rope to pull him out. That's how, how um, fearful a thing it was for the Jews to think of going into God's presence. But the spirit of adoption now allows us to have a close relationship with God. And this should be something that we celebrate. In fact, the song that we just sang, uh, You're a Good, Good Father, that is a song of eminence, that God is close to us, and that this should be celebrated. The gospel that has allowed us who are far off from God because of sin to draw near to him. The sovereign God of the universe is now our father, our Abba, our dad. And it kind of reminds me of a, a story of a soldier. He was waiting to go in to see Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, and he couldn't get in to see him. So he was sitting on the steps, kind of dejected, uh, depressed, and a little boy walked up to him, and the little boy said, what's wrong? And he said, I need to see the president, and nobody will let me in to see him. So the little boy said, well, come, follow me. And the soldier kind of shook his head, thinking, why should I follow you? He said in his mind. But he got up, and he followed the little boy, and the little boy walked up the steps and walked up to the doors of the White House, and the soldiers went to attention and opened the doors. And the little boy walked down the, the hallway towards the Oval Office, and the soldier followed behind with his head down. And as they got to the Oval Office, the little boy walked in, and Abraham Lincoln said, Hey, son, how are you doing today? That's what we have in Christ. We can go into the very presence of God because of Christ, the Son and because we are his brother. Amazing, isn't it, to think about? Yes. Oh, another one? Okay. Look at point two, the call for filial fear. Look at verse 17. It says, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during your time of stay on earth. Now, many people, many Christians, will misread this passage and think that they should have a craven fear of God because God is going to judge us in the end. 
And some would say even a craven fear or a servile fear, which is the fear of a servant for their master. Now, some have interpreted this passage as an initial salvation by grace, and then finally we're saved by our works. God forgives our past sins, and then when we become Christians, he leaves us to our own sanctification. And if we're not sanctified enough, we're going to change. Commercial break. And if your sanctification is not enough in the end, then in the final judgment we will be condemned. There are some believers that believe that. So they live in fear their entire lives. And if this passage is teaching this, then we should live in craven fear our entire lives. And if this is true, no one can ever be sure of their salvation because no one can ever love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind and love their neighbor as themselves perfectly. Where is the hope in this? How can anyone live with joy knowing that they will one day face judgment? How can you, look at verse 13 again, how can you fix your hope completely on grace if you're thinking about judgment you're not then hoping completely on grace that's a total contradiction and this is not what this passage is teaching one author said this about the motivation for obedience john wesley used to argue that he could not accept the doctrine of election because it undermines the main support of holiness fear of punishment and hope of reward. If the motivation for holiness is fear of punishment and hope of reward, then this doctrine indeed undermines it. In fact, it marks this sort of guilt and reward holiness as a gospel-obstructing target which must be destroyed. Paul instructed us in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you've received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, fear is what you had before you were a Christian, but he predestined us to be adopted as sons. And listen to this. Listen to this. And God's generosity is mocked if he can smell either fear or pride in our service to him. Did you hear that? Let me, let me repeat that. God's generosity is mocked if he can smell either fear or pride in our service to him. I was listening to a radio talk show years ago 
and it was Ron Reagan, who is the adopted son, of course, of the president, Ronald Reagan. Ron Reagan was the talk show host, and he had a person call in. His dad was a pastor, a former pastor, and they had a school at the church um, where this was in West Palm Beach, Florida, which is my hometown. So this man called in to Reagan, and he, and he was telling about this church that his father used to be a pastor of, and he said, basically, if you sin in this church, you were going to face judgment. That's basically what they taught. It was a very harsh teaching, uh, which created what he said was obedience out of fear. Obedience out of fear. And he, and he said the results of that were that the friends that he went to school there with and the, the friends that he went to church with, none of them went to church anymore. None of them went to church anymore. And he said this, crave and fear can create temporary obedience, but it won't create a passion to persevere. Now some might ask, well, what do you do with the verses like uh, that promote a, this craven fear or servile fear? Like Hebrews 10.31 that says this, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Or Matthew 12.36 that says this, and I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. What about Psalm 2.12? It says this, Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. Are those verses speaking to us as believers? No, they're not. In fact, Hebrews 10.31 is speaking to those who are apostate, who aren't Christians. Matthew 12.36 is speaking to those in the context, those who blaspheme. And then Psalm 2.12 is speaking to those unbelievers at the second coming of Christ who will face judgment. But believers, because of the propitiation of Christ, will never face judgment, will never face God's wrath. 1 John 2.2 says this, And he himself, is a propitiation for our sins. What is, what is a propitiation? It's a taking away of wrath because of a sacrifice. God's wrath that he had for us, that he had been saving for us, was, was put upon Christ when he was on the cross. We will never face God's wrath in judgment. Listen to what C.H. Spurgeon says about this. It's in a uh, devotional, Morning and Evening. This was uh, my mom's devotional. And she's got all this, this portion underlined and stars next to it and all that. So I love it. Um, but it says this. It seems to be one of very principles of our enlightened nature to believe that God is just. The very same belief that God is just becomes the pillar of our confidence and peace. Did you ever think about that? God's justice 
being the pillar for your confidence and peace? I've never thought of it that way. But listen to this. If God is just, I, a sinner, must be punished. But Jesus stands in my stead and is punished for me. Now, if God is just, I, a sinner, stand in Christ, can never be punished. God must change his nature before one soul for whom Jesus was the substitute can ever by any possibility suffer the lash of the law. It would be double jeopardy if we face punishment again. My hope lives, listen to this, my hope lives not because I'm not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that he is my righteousness. My faith does not rest on what I am or will be or feel or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done, and what he is now doing for me. Is that amazing? That's God's grace. So what does it mean, then, to live in fear for our stay upon this earth? What is the filial fear of God? Well, one writer says this, it's the indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure, joy and awe, which fills our heart when we realize what God has done for us. It is a love for God which is so great that we would be ashamed to do anything else that would displease him or grieve him and makes us happiest when we are doing what pleases him. A filial fear of God is an awe and a respect for God because he is our father. We have this awe for God because he chose us from the beginning of time to be his sons. Nothing we do or ever will do will ever deserve what we have received. We do not serve him out of fear of judgment. Now this filial fear is something that is hard for us to understand, I believe, in this culture because many times the role of father has been downgraded in so many places. In fact, it reminds me of a commercial I saw years ago. In fact, I told my discipleship class this commercial. Um, I saw it about five years ago, and it shows a father in the foreground trying to fold up a stroller. Now, how many of you have ever been there before? Trying to fold up that stroller, and he's sitting there going like this, trying to get the thing to fold up, and he can't get it done, right? And his wife is in the background folding up the stow-and-go seats. They were just invented, I guess. And they're just boom, boom, boom. And she's no problem, right? And then she goes over, grabs the stroller away from her husband, pops it, and the thing folds. She throws it into the car. She gets into the driver's side and says, come on, dear, let's go. Totally, you know, totally um, uh, just demolishing, in a sense, his fatherhood. 
You know, and this isn't an isolated commercial. I mean, there are many TV shows, commercials, movies that are demeaning fatherhood. But the scriptures paint a different picture of fathers, especially, especially when it's talking about the fatherhood of God. And filial fear produces children of God who want to serve him out of love. We serve him because we are adopted and we don't deserve it. We serve him because we were orphans once, but now he calls us his children. And that leads us to verses 18 to 21. Look at that with me. 18 to 21. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There is a knowledge that motivates filial fear. And it's the knowledge of where we came from. Where we came from. Because we were once slaves to sin. And the only way that we could be released from that slavery is for God to redeem us. Just as Israel could not free themselves from slavery when they were in Egypt, so we couldn't free ourselves. And, and just think of it this way. When Israel passed through the Red Sea, and then they saw the Egyptian army destroyed right before their very eyes. Can you imagine if, if an Israeli saw that and then stood and said, the only reason why we escaped is because of our own power. You know, many times we do that. We say, the only reason why I'm a Christian is because of my own faith, or because I chose God, or because I repented. And we don't realize God is the one who redeemed us. God is the one who, adjust, who justified us. God is the one who adopted us as sons and has given us the spirit of adoption by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. In closing... I was listening to another radio show years ago. And the people that were on the show, the guests on the show, were Elizabeth Smart and her dad. Now, I don't know if you remember, Elizabeth Smart was the young girl. She was, I think, 14 years old, and she was kidnapped in Utah. Um, for nine months, she was held as a slave, as a slave by this man and wife. And she was asked the question by the host, when you were released, that day you were released, how did you feel? How did you feel when you saw your dad for the first time? And she said, you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
She was so filled with joy when she saw her dad and his outstretched arms. And she said that she knew when she got to her dad and was in his arms that she would be safe once again. You know, one day when we walk into heaven, we're going to walk into heaven with joy and not fear, not a craven fear. Because we're going to know that our Heavenly Father loves us and knows us. And once we are in His outstretched arms, we will be safe forevermore. No more tears, no more pain, and no more fears. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your mercy and your grace that allows us to be called sons and daughters of the living God. Amazing. That you as the creator of the universe could condescend to such a place that you can call us your sons and that we can call you our Father. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to want to serve you out of love and help us not to fear in a servile type of fear, but help us to fear you with awe and respect because of the grace that you have shown us. Lord, we praise you for this time together, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.